everybody. Welcome to the Agiostos. My name is Bill Dykstra. Today is hot. Today is like the first hot day of the year here in Saskatoon. It's like 25 degrees Celsius, which would be about, I looked it up, it was 70, 77 degrees Fahrenheit for our American viewers, our Americanos. Anyways, I'm inside and I'm recording a podcast on the most gorgeous day of the year thus far. That might sound crazy to you. It probably just is crazy. Anyways, today's episode, I'm really excited for today's episode because it's a sequel because we've already done these saints. Um, But in the past year, I've learned more about them and I'm excited to tell you what I've learned about them. So here we go. So before Ukraine, Russia, and Belarus, and other modern states existed, there was the Kingdom of the Kievian Rus. Surrounding the first millennium AD, these lands were the focal point of the spread of the Christian religion in that area. In the Christianization of the Rus, a particular set of events unraveled with its own cast of characters. We have covered some people some holy people who emerged in Rus in history, and today we would like to revisit two of those people, as I said. Saints Boris and Gleb were princes of Kiev. Their father was Vladimir the Great, the Grand Prince, who was responsible for the formal formal introduction of Christianity among his people. In the wake of their father's death, their elder brother, Sviatopolk, in an effort to consolidate his power, the power that he was going to receive from, inherit from his father, had his two younger brothers murdered. It should be pointed out that Boris and Gleb did not die as martyrs per se. They died because of their brother's political agenda. However, we venerate them due to the posture of their deaths. Neither brother desired to thwart these evil machinations that were at play. Neither desired to spill their brother Sviatopolk's blood in retaliation. We call these saints passion bearers. They approached a violent end in a similar manner to Christ, though Sviatopolk's condemnation of Boris and Gleb was politically motivated. Now, what is special about these brothers and their places in the history of the Christianization of the Rusin peoples? In a special way, these two brothers ignited the faith of the people. They were the first saints of the newly baptized Kievian Rus. Now, Saints Theodore and John, to my knowledge, were the first martyrs in this history. Yet that was before the majority of the peoples converted. Boris and Gleb, prior to even the veneration of their father Vladimir and their grandmother Olga, are the first native saints of Rus to be revered by the people. It was likely the most shocking thing that anyone had ever seen. And here I am not referring to the fact that they were killed and they were princes. Since the dawn of time, those in power have done egregious things to maintain and gain more influence. That was commonplace. What was new and what was novel was that there are these two princes who committed to the very opposite. Rather, they acquiesced to death, rather than committing sin. Now, in the early days of these newly Christian peoples, their ecclesial structure was governed from Constantinople, having been evangelized by the Greeks. This was not always the best interest for people. 
Even holy saints who had governed in foreign seas have not always viewed the people that they're ministering to in a positive light. This was the case with the Metropolitan of Kiev and the princes Boris and Gleb. John I of Kiev, the Metropolitan, opposed the veneration of the princes at first, uh, yet for unknown reasons, at least unknown to me. However, the case of their holiness became undeniable when miracles began happening at their resting places. The news of these saints also spread to other lands. Sophia Senek in her book, The History of the Church in Ukraine, states, The veneration of saints Boris and Gleb spread to other Slavic lands, not only to Eastern Christian Bulgaria and Serbia, but also to Western Christian Bohemia. A revival of Slavic Christianity there in the 11th century had its center at the Benedictine monastery of Sazava. Relics of St. Boris and Gleb were brought to Sazava in 1093. The martyrdom of the two princes had certain features in common with the death of the Bohemian natural patron Wenceslaus, like them killed by assassins sent by his brother. End quote. In terms of piety, there was more literature produced in honor of the two saints than any other person or feast. Though the usual scandals of the political hierarchy did not vanish, these two saints became the metric for judging a holy ruler. A negative example comes from the celebration of the translation of their relics. At that celebration, the sons of Prince Yaroslav the Wise were present. A year later, Izyaslav, the eldest brother, was driven out of his lands by his fellow brothers. Sophia Senek highlights a positive example of Vladimir Monomach. In a war against his cousin Oleg, Vladimir surrendered the town of Chernihiv to his cousin on the feast day of Saints Boris and Gleb, perhaps in an act of reverence to the saints. Oleg would eventually kill Vladimir's son in battle in 1096. However, in 1115, Vladimir, in an act of humility, invites Oleg to a consecration of a church and the translation of the relics of Boris and Gleb there. It is clear to see that the sanctity of the two brothers left a profound impact on the psychology of the early Christians of Kiev in Rus. They were a cultural phenomenon. The textual evidence given by the primary chronicle, that early record from which their story is known, further illustrates how these brothers were regarded. In his book, The Liturgical Past in Byzantium and Early Rus, Sean Griffin notes something, well, liturgical, about their narratives. My hypothesis is, says Griffin, that the chroniclers depicted Boris preparing for death in much the same way that a priest prepared for the Eucharistic sacrifice just before the start of the Divine Liturgy when he entered the altar and performed the rite of prothesis, or proscomedia. For those of you who are unfamiliar, the proscomedia is, the, is a liturgical function that is performed just prior to the liturgy where the priest takes the prosphora, the leavened loaf that will be used as the host, and prepares it for the divine liturgy. Prior to his death, Boris is in church, and the psalms which Boris is quoted praying are the psalms commonly allocated to the matin service. Griffin notes, He opened with Psalm 3.1. 
the verse, the first verse of the six Psalms. The next phrase he chanted were from the second six Psalms, Psalms 38, verse 2, and 38, 18 to 19. And the verses following those were from the sixth and final Psalm, Psalm 142, verse 1 to 3, end quote. Boris had noticed the assassin circling around him, and he continued to pray. He gazed upon an icon of Christ and prayed, O Lord Jesus Christ, as you appeared in the image on earth for the sake of our salvation, and of your own will stretched out your hands upon the cross and accepted the passion on account of our sins, so help me to accept my passion, for I receive it not from my enemies, but from my own brother." And do not hold it against him as sin, O Lord. Now these prayers are not entirely ad lib, for they reflect the prayers of a priest, the prayers that they say upon entering the sanctuary just prior to performing the proscomedia. Here are the words of the actual prayers that are attributed to Germanos of Constantinople. O Lord Jesus Christ, as you appeared as this image on earth for the sake of our salvation, and were pleased of your own will to stretch out your hands and your feet, and gave us your cross for the expulsion of every enemy and adversary, have mercy on those that hope in you. In the proscomedia, the prosphora is pierced with a lance. The priest having prayed, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once came out blood and water from the side of Jesus. He who saw it has borne witness, and his witness is true." It is after Boris recites the prayers of entrance that the assassins enter the scene and are armed with lances and run them through him. Now, not just with Boris's death, but also Gleb's death, it uses the same imagery. It's consistent. The primary chronicle illustrates Gleb's cook, Torchin by name, taking up a knife, stabbed Gleb like a spotless lamb. Thus, he was brought to God as sacrifice, a sweet-smelling fragrance. End quote. Where the text aligns Boris as the role of the priest in the proscomedia, Gleb is explicitly described as a spotless lamb. Though both of them are stabbed, his role is that of the prosphora. Now, what I'm about to say next is kind of my own further speculation in the text, but if you've ever seen the Proscomedia service, you'll know that the prosphor is incensed. Gleb's passion-bearing death is described as being a sweet-smelling fragrance. The death of these two brothers, though taking place separately, took place simultaneously. These narratives demonstrate how the Christians of early Rus viewed these saints— They were their offering. Perhaps in a certain sense, the new Christian history of the Rusin people was like a liturgy that began to unravel, and Boris and Gleb were their sacrifice. Now, conjecting where these saints land in the cosmic story of the world is a lofty and dramatic thing to think about, but I would like to end by reflecting on something that is perhaps more imminent to ourselves. Not many of us can identify with family feuds that end in fatality, perhaps because we aren't necessarily given the occasion to do so. Uh, However, I believe that it is St. Thomas Aquinas who identifies gossip as an infraction against the fifth commandment, thou shalt not murder. The reasoning being that you're killing the otherwise positive reputation and public persona the person being gossiped about would have. 
had you not opened your mouth. Now, I am someone who has gossiped about others and, you know, have been gossiped about. I've been on both sides of that. And this might be a little anecdotal from my own experience, uh, from being gossiped about. There comes afterwards this kind of disordered desire to set the record straight. And there's an overwhelming distrust of others. You become overly sensitive to the speculated poor motives of others. And here is where, if you're like me, you might need Boris and Gleb too. Abuse and injury does not come from a vacuum. It has to start somewhere. But it has a funny way of reasserting itself. I was once given the image, someone told me about this kind of maybe, uh, this image of, a, of an orbit. And that at one point of the orbit, you're moving away from, you know, your woundedness, from your junk. And at the other point, you eventually move back to it. And it's infrequent and the proximity is different every time. But there's always this movement away and towards. And it's kind of like, and I think that that is kind of articulate of how abuse and injury kind of survives itself within us. Yet I think Boris and Gleb help us to see more deeply into the victimhood of Christ himself. Christ humbly accepted the cross, and he is our measure for all things. The notion of a willing victim is difficult to even say out loud, but how many of us lament over past injuries without any resolution, without coming to terms with anything? And I think Boris and Gleb, if we if we accept them into our lives, I think that they can help us move towards a posture that is more accepting, even though the fairness may not be there. Now, the Feast of Boris and Gleb is on July 24th, but on May 3rd, we celebrate the translation of the relics. There is actually a couple of awesome saints this weekend. On May 1st, there is Blessed Clementi, who we already have a podcast about, an episode about, I believe. You should go check that out. On May 2nd is St. Athanasius, who is always great. And on May 3rd, there is also St. Theodosius of the Caves. And he is super awesome. I love all those guys. Anyways, I could have made a recording about a lot of other awesome stuff this weekend. I keep using the word awesome, and I'm feeling a little self-conscious about that. But maybe it's, it's called for. It is. Okay? Anyways, moving on. Um, I could have done a lot of other stuff, but it's this episode about Boris and Gleb that, you know, since I did the first episode last year, which you should go back and listen to, I've learned a lot about them. I learned about all this stuff about them, and I was just kind of, I, this is what kind of came out of me. Um, this weekend. So you might look at the calendar and you might say, hey, you know what? There's a lot of other great stuff. You've already covered these guys. But um, but this was, I don't want to say it was on my heart, but it was totally on my heart. To end off, let's pray the Tropar for their feast day. Now, before we begin, I should just say that I forgot to mention that in their baptism, they were given names, David and Roman. So if you're ever looking them up, you'll always see them as Boris and Gleb baptized David and Roman. And so this is how we address them in the tropart today. So let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Innocent Roman and guileless David, 
genuine martyrs who truly heard Christ's gospel. You did not resist the enemy of your own brother who killed your body, but could not touch your spirit. Now let your evil, power-hungry brother weep while you rejoice with angels in the presence of the Trinity. Pray for the nation of your kinsmen to be pleasing to God and for the salvation of the sons of Rus. Thank you very much for listening today. This has been your dose of Agios. Saints Boris and Gleb, pray for us. And Christos Christ.